It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley Church right here in Colorado Springs. And I am thrilled that you are tuning in here today because we are continuing in our study of 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I hope to wrap that up for you today. And uh, we're going to start getting into some very, uh, well, they're all important subjects. I don't want to say that this one is not, uh, but other important subjects such as spiritual gifts, even talking about tongues. And uh, many of those spiritual gifts are related with tongues. And, and so I, th- this is going to be a, a very, uh, not to say drawn out, but a very detailed study. It's going to take us several weeks to get through that because I really want to give it the attention that it deserves. And I, and I want you to know that uh, we're taking that very seriously, especially since these topics have been very divisive in the church. And so that's my responsibility to you as an expositor of God's word as we go through this verse by verse is simply just to tell you what the Bible says, hopefully not to inject uh, too much of my own opinion into that. It's hard to do. I'm still still man, still person, and I have perspectives on these things, especially when you take the full context of God's Word into that equation. Uh, so I'll try to remove myself from that and just give you the facts, and we'll talk about this, and I certainly entertain your questions. I've received a number of them, and uh, especially we've gone through this study in particular. And so I want to just wrap up here today, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. This is a very important subject as well. Uh, because over the last couple of weeks, we talked about just really touching on the subject of men and women and their roles in the church, in the home, and society. Uh, we've also talked about modesty, this return to modesty. In fact, our, our theme last week was on the subject of modesty in worship and culture and coming under authority. And really what this is about is a heart matter. It's all about coming under authority, i.e. the authority of Jesus Christ our Lord, who in Ephesians chapter 5 reminds us that he is the head of the church. As we've addressed many times already about the body of Christ, the church, and every one of us having a a piece of that body, some of us may be the elbow or a finger or a leg, Uh, the scriptures are quite descriptive there that we all have particular giftings. And all of us have a role to play. There are no bystanders in the church, no pew warmers. We all have a responsibility, a calling, a gifting, and we'll talk about that. Uh, But we also have to acknowledge in this that Jesus Christ is the head of it all. And he is the head of the church. And he's given us a structure for the home. He's given us a structure for governance, even in society. So this really is about coming under authority, that there's great power in obedience So the heart matter of this, since it is about a heart matter, here Paul is addressing some of the traditions that were going on in the church at that time, is they were trying to set themselves apart from the culture. The culture was often inventing new ways, it seems. We always seem to come up with new ways to break God's heart. Uh, But they were constantly coming up with new ways to uh, give themselves over to debauchery and immorality in their worship of pagan gods. So lower G, 
So as they would observe these various practices, they would, uh, you know, either I don't distort their bodies in some way, dress certain ways, provocatively cutting of themselves, all sorts of things as they would worship these false gods. So Paul is constantly trying to show the Corinthian church through this study that they were to deflect from themselves and put all attention on Jesus. It's all about him. And so often, even today, the way we dress, the way we carry ourselves as Christians, we put more attention on ourselves far too often than not. Even making decisions that benefit ourselves, really not thinking about Jesus much at all, and then breaking our entire mission from what we're called to do as his ambassadors. You know, I was on my way to the studio, and this is fresh in my mind because this just happened on the way into the studio. I kept getting cut off in traffic by a gentleman who was in a company vehicle. Now, I, I don't know the man's name. I don't know what he looked like, but I can tell you that since I was behind this vehicle, as he kept insistent to, he was insistently cutting me off and driving recklessly, it was uh, quite obvious which company he represented. You could see it quite clearly on the back of his vehicle there, uh, and I can tell you exactly which company that is. I don't know the man. I don't know his name, but I know who he represented. And I can tell you right now, in the flesh, in my emotion, I don't have a good impression of that company. And likewise, as believers, we tend to behave in a manner that deflects away from Jesus, that, that gives him even what attention may even go to Jesus, could be the wrong kind of attention. As his ambassadors that we are called to be in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20, is we're called to be ambassadors for Christ there, uh, that far too often we are making decisions that don't reflect well on Christ. You no longer belong to you. You belong to Christ who paid the ultimate price to redeem you, according to Galatians 3, 13 to 15. Jesus took the Ten Commandments, if you recall, from Exodus chapter 20, the directives of God, and he drove it to a heart matter in Matthew chapter 5 through Matthew 7, the Sermon on the Mount, even the Beatitudes that are listed there. So if we're doing all to the glory of God, according to 1 Corinthians 10.31 and Colossians 3.17, then the way we view life must be through the lenses of the Holy Spirit so we can get to the root of the issues, the, the very things that may even be a stumbling block in our path of obedience must be addressed inside of us. At the root, the core of this issue is probably some pride a bit of rebellion even. We want to do what we want to do and then sprinkle some Jesus into the equation as opposed to recognizing that even how we dress can draw the wrong kind of attention onto ourselves and we're ambassadors for Christ. You don't belong to you. He paid the ultimate price for you. So as we examine this issue, what we have to do is deflect from ourselves and understand that we are now putting on the hat as an ambassador for Jesus Christ. That at all times, we reflect Him. We want people to see Him when they see us, when they hear us, when they're around us. That we're cautious about what we say and do because we belong to another. We're coming under the authority of one who is greater than us, and we don't want to make Him look bad. This, this is is a root issue of our heart. The proof of the fruit 
is in the root. Okay? The proof of the fruit is in the root. <laughs> the proof of the fruit is in the root. Okay? Write that down. That's important to understand. Maybe make a magnet of that, if you will. Just to remind yourself that as you examine where your heart is, that it's in alignment to the will of God, the, the words of God, as he tells us in his entire text. Now, let's get into this. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10. I'm going to back up to verse 10 again. We covered this at the end of our study last week, but uh, as we were running out of time there, I didn't give it the uh, proper time, I believe. Uh, let me just recap just a little bit there. Verse 10. If you happen to miss last week, please go back and listen to calvaryfountain.com's archive. Again, calvaryfountain.com. We've got an archive there of all of the previous radio shows, as well as our video archive from the sermon notes and sermon series. So uh, that's all made available to you, again, at calvaryfountain.com. So here's verse 10, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. For this reason, the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, Paul comes to one of the most mysterious verses in the entire, entire Bible here. I mean, this is one that has caused much consternation within uh, the, the, the interpreters and those scholars who spend a great deal of time in the study of God's Word. It's considered one of the most difficult verses in the entire Bible. And I, I propose my understanding here is, is in great humility. I, I mean, Paul is summing up his argument with the use of the words, for this reason. So the head covering as a symbol, if you recall, last couple of weeks we talked about a head covering for women. So a head covering as a symbol revealed that the woman was coming under the authority of another who possesses authority. So that means that the woman is illustrating authority by coming under authority. That's why they wore this head covering in a culture of debauchery and sexual immorality that was going on all around them there in Corinth. So uh, this is what Jesus witnessed from the centurion in Matthew chapter 8, verses 9 to 10, as he humbly stated before Jesus, I also am a man under authority. So Jesus will then commend this centurion. When Jesus heard it, he said he was marveled. And he said to those who followed, assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. So Christ also took the form of a bondservant. And you go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 on that, doing the will of the Father, according to John chapter 12, Luke 22, and makes many others. And he did this to be elevated to the right hand of the Father, as we see in Hebrews chapter 1 and 2, by his obedience, according to Hebrews chapter 5 and Philippians 2. So his authority came by way of modeling submission to authority, according to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 7. It's hard for us to picture that because we understand that Jesus is God, the triune nature of God but yet he is modeling coming under the, uh, the authority of the headship of God the Father. So God marks us with a symbol that we belong to him, according to Revelation chapter 7, 1 to 8, and Ephesians 1, 13. It's interesting that Satan tries to emulate by cloning and distorting the things of God. And we'll see that the beast will do the same thing for his followers in Revelation 13, 15 to 18. So we're all marked. I mean, one way or another, either we are with Christ or against him, 
according to Matthew 12, 30 and Luke eleven twenty three. 23. So if we're with him, then we are marked by him, male and female alike, according to Revelation 3, 12. However, this symbol that's being given to us here in 1 Corinthians eleven ten, that's attributed specifically to women, seems to correlate, listen to this, with the work of the angels. You see, Christ is the head. He's the head of the church, according to Colossians 1.18 and Ephesians 5.23. So Christ is the authority over the church. The marriage bond is also likened to this model with man being the headship over the woman as Christ is over the church. Again, Ephesians 5.22-33. So Christ also commands the angels. They're under his authority, according to Hebrews 1.14. And it describes angels as ministering spirits that are dispatched by God to serve those who inherit salvation, those marked by God. So this final phrase here that Paul uses, because of the angels, is a mystery to all interpreters. Yet, perhaps it's Paul is, is encouraging women to worship with the same submissive humility as those angelic ministers who were also under the authority of Christ. Now, women honor their head with a symbol of submission to both God and their husbands as they serve in the instruction of Titus chapter 2, 1 to 5 and Proverbs 31 in the very same way that angels serve the body of Christ under the authority of Christ. So we know that when the church gathers, it's, it's filled with angels as well as all those observers and, and those con- congregates in the church. So those people in the church are not alone. The angels are there with them, and they're observing what God is doing in the church. That's hard for us to understand. We think that angels are like God and somehow all-knowing, but scriptures tell us that the angels observe what God is doing even in his church, that they're observing and worshiping with us. And we see that from 1 Corinthians 4, 9, chapter 11, 10, Ephesians 3, 10, 1 Timothy 5, 21, 1 Peter 1, 12, amongst many others. So this veiling of the woman, if you will, in this public worship environment because of the angels may be then an imitation of even the seraphim. I love what Scripture tells us about them, that when they would sing praises to God, they covered their faces and their feet with their own wings, according to Isaiah 6, 1-3, out of reverence for God. So, these ministering angels are observing a similar behavior, possibly. Maybe this is the interpretation of this, that these, these ministering angels are observing this and this behavior that the women in the church are modeling, who are ministering agents with a similar role as that of the angels who also glorify God. You see, angels are ministering agents under Christ, and women are ministering agents under their husbands. So there's also an aspect of, you know, going back to Genesis chapter 6, verse 2, and a woman who's coming under the authority is making a statement before those angels. Okay, so there's a whole, uh, that's a whole bunny trail there. And again, if you're interested in that, I'd be happy to send you some notes on that. I mentioned that last week of Genesis chapter 6, verse 2. So there's, there's a coming under authority, under Christ's authority, that was demonstrated even with the head covering that is quite powerful in that illustration as well. So let's pick up now where we left off last week. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 11 to 12, we read, Nevertheless, neither is man independent of woman, nor woman independent of man in the Lord. 
For as woman came from man, even so man comes through woman, but all things are from God. Now, this is a great equalizer verse because up until this point, it might be pretty easy to make women appear to be this subservient, lesser humanoid form under this dictator rulership of men. And that's not at all how we're to interpret this. But we know how the sin nature of humanity elevates its ugly head. And then suddenly someone's inferior and another's superior and all of those sort of things. We talked about that over the last couple weeks as well. So again, if you have not heard uh, the prior weeks on this, please go back and listen at calvaryfountain.com. I'll make sure you understand that clearly. So the phrase, in the Lord... Here in verse 11, it clearly envisions Christian marriage and life in the body of Christ. Okay, this is a mutual dependence of man and woman and speaks of full equality in personhood, as we see in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. We can't get along without each other, okay? We are mutually dependent on each other. We complement one another as God has designed it. So Paul is stressing here that neither man nor woman, because of their different positions or advantages, should consider themselves better or treat the other with contempt. Now, you got to remember, again, in Scripture, the Bible will highlight 600 different women. 93 of them will speak 14,056 words. That's huge. When you talk about ancient texts, especially ones that talk about God, in any false god religion you did not hear from women but here we have women 93 of them adding 14,000 recorded words to the holy word of god okay so paul will thank 10 different women in romans chapter 16 alone and then thank 18 women servant leaders in romans first corinthians second timothy colossians philemon and even Philippians. So, uh, Paul is stressing the created order, okay? That's what he's doing here, the authority bestowed accordingly then. He's now quick to show how each balances the other, lest some immature believer or somebody's reading this attempt to use the chain of command to their advantage rather than to the glory of God. You see, Eve was originally created from the man, but from that point on, every single man is birthed by woman, So all things are from God, which gives us another reason for humility in the relationships between believing men and women. So up to now, some immature believers might suggest uh, an inferiority of women to men. I mean, partly on this basis of the story of creation of women from men in Genesis chapter 2. But in these verses, we're reminded here once again that, that everything got reversed that uh, women were first drawn out of man, but now uh, man is drawn out of woman. Okay, so Paul is is balancing this here. And, and then he's quick to point out, as we'll read later in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, there is neither male nor female. You were all one in Christ Jesus, the great equalizer. So we all come from God, and all of us equally belong to God through his son, Jesus. So let's move on here, verse 13 Judge among yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Now, the apostle did not think it wise for Christian women to exercise their liberty in a way that would go against socially accepted behavior in the church, i.e. traditions, even though they were personally submissive. So today, what is socially accepted is different 
but her attitude is crucial, okay? This all comes back to an attitude issue. We dress a certain way, we do our hair a certain way, we do a lot of things a certain way that often has some pride, some sin in there as a root for the decision-making. Okay, he says in verses 14 to 15 of 1 Corinthians 11, does not even nature itself teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a dishonor to him. But if a woman has long hair, it is a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. So uh, Paul does not mean nature in the sense of like the natural world or mother nature. I mean, all you'd have to do is look out uh, your window if you're in Africa, perhaps, and you'd see a male lion which is a common biblical animal with a big bushy mane all around it. So here he's talking about really the contrast of what was going on in the culture. I mean, there's a lot of evidence for the first century men who had long hair, and it was effeminate. It was even considered to be a mark of homosexuality, something that Paul would address in Romans chapter 1 that he said was contrary to nature. So most of the 14 uses of phusis, of nature in the New Testament, describe the essential or intrinsic characteristics of something, whether by design or customs. So by nature, what Paul is evidently meaning here is how the culture felt about what was natural as handed down through the generations by way of tradition and scriptural records. I mean, after all, it was God who dressed Adam initially and Eve right after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. So even archaeological records, such as the renderings and sculptures that we still have all the way back from 500 BC, clearly demonstrate the various hairstyles. And the earlier ones even revealed short hair on men and long hair on women that was culturally normative. So Paul is telling the Corinthians not to abandon these culturally accepted symbols of male and female distinctives in a culture that was blurring those lines. And they were doing so to appease their pagan gods through unbridled behaviors of the flesh. That's what was going on. They needed to be set apart. So please note that Paul is not shaming the few examples in Scripture that we have of those who took the Nazarite vow. Okay, you go to Numbers chapter 6, verses 1 to 5. We see Samson, possibly Samuel, maybe even John the Baptist. Uh, we get those examples from Judges 13, 4 to 5, 1 Samuel 1, 11, and Luke 1, 15. Uh, though we're only given some, I mean, just to be clear on this, we're only given some aspects of the vow for Samuel uh, and for John the Baptist. So uh, rather than addressing the culture as a whole that was filled with sexual reversal and gender shaming, that, that's, that's here what Paul is putting our emphasis on. Okay, not, not uh, talking about the Nazarite vow in specific there. So let's make sure we, we clear that up. Um, Paul here, he uses glory as he claims that the long hair for a woman is like a glory, is a glory to her. And it, so in context here, it refers to the beauty of a woman's long hair. It was an attractive feature. However, since this verse aligns with what we just read, the glory given to the woman by way of her long hair is God-designed. It's distinguishing in that it gives a factor that highlights the woman's femininity, and it provides a natural symbolic covering as being under the authority of man because she's under the authority of God. I hope that makes a little more sense there. In verse 16, it says, But if anyone seems to be contentious, we have no such custom, nor do the churches of God. 
So here he gives another disclaimer that if any of his readers still did not feel inclined to accept Paul's reasoning, that he's informing them that all the other churches were doing the same thing. And, and this is why. He's giving them an explanation of why they're doing this. So some women were evidently discarding the head covering in public worship. And so Paul brings up the idea of these customs again in, in verse 16. And scholars call this an inclusio, which is this literary framing in which the same word or phrase stands at the beginning and the end of a section. So he's doing this on purpose to help them understand that these traditions were put in place for a reason. So Paul will commend the church of Thessalonica for holding to these traditions, the, the traditions that have been going on in the other churches of God, and we read that in 1 Thessalonians 2.14. And it's ironic, I find, that Paul was writing that commendation to the Thessalonians while he was in Corinth, working on establishing the very church he's writing to now about these head-covering issues of 1 Corinthians 11. So there's approximately six to seven years in between these letters, so other churches were holding to this tradition of head coverings while the church of Corinth is debating the issue. Okay, so, so these two verses, uh, chapter 11, verse 2 and 16, really call to attention the fact that this was a tradition and a custom. It serves to bracket the entire discussion. So the issue is obedience based on what we read at the end of chapter 10, that we are doing all to the glory of God and not allowing ourselves, i.e. pride, to become a stumbling block to uh, distracting us from worship. I, I mean, that's what it's all about. We're supposed to deflect from us and put it on Jesus. So the challenge to all of us here is to be obedient in carrying out God's desire for orderly and honorable worship inside and outside the church building. Our worship is daily. We're an ambassador all the time. We're not just an ambassador when it suits us or when it's convenient, or possibly when we're around some friends or other family members that we want to lead to Christ, you need to put on that mantle, that role as ambassador every single moment of every day. When your eyes open and you have and you are cognizant of the day, your first order, your first order of business should be prayer and asking God to help you in this, because as this important assignment that has been given to you, you have to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is in you at all times. Now, I know we can fret then over what we'll say and try to have our elevator speech ready of Jesus Christ. What you need to do is be in a posture of readiness. Lord, use me to your glory. I belong to you. Help me to, to understand. Reveal in me if my heart is not aligned with yours. If I'm bringing attention on myself and not on you. I don't want to be a distraction to anyone seeing you. I want them only to see you as they hear my voice, as they spend time with me. Let it be you that they see. So, again, this is about a heart matter, and I hope you've been encouraged through this study. Uh, we, we're going to continue on, and, and we've got a lot of tough subjects ahead of us. Pre, please pray for me. Stay tuned in, because we've got a lot to cover when it comes to spiritual gifts, especially the subject of tongues that can be very divisive in the church today. So we've got a lot of important subjects coming up. So I want to thank you for listening faithfully each week. Again, if you happen to miss an episode, go back to Calvary Fountain. Dot com and listen there. We've got the archive of the audio as well as the video of these teachings. And you can learn more calvaryfountain.com about our ministry of Calvary Fellowship, Fountain Valley Church. God bless you, my friends.